going to speak to us um, on prayer of lament. Psalm 13, King David, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, writes these words. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's the word of the Lord. Morning, church. Nope, we're good. Morning, church. There we are. are. Like Josh said, my name is James Piscasio. I'm so grateful to be able to stand before you guys this morning. Um, If you've been around Soma for the last couple of uh, weeks, we've been going through a series on prayer, part of our our bigger series of spiritual formation. We've been using the the definition of prayer throughout the series as us conversing with God about what we're doing together. So prayer is us conversing with God about what we are doing together. And this morning, we're going to be talking specifically about the prayer of laments. And as I've been, you know, thinking about you know, this sermon, this moment for the last couple of weeks, I realize the, the tremendous amount of energy it takes uh, to, to get into a headspace, to get into uh, a place of lament, to, to want to pray uh, for things that you're lamenting. And for, the, for those who aren't going through a season of lament, and, and we recognize there are people like that here this morning, um, it, it takes uh, a lot of energy, and it's very difficult to track with me back to a place where you fought tooth and nail to get out of. One of the great things that uh, we've kind of heard, and one of the uh, more honest things that we've heard throughout this series is that as people pray, uh, they don't know necessarily what to pray to God, what to take to God. Um, finding difficulty how to start that conversation. What's very unique about the prayer of lament is that you know exactly what you need to tell God, right? You know exactly what's going on in your heart. You recognize the brokenness uh, that exists in the world, the brokenness that exists in your own life. Um, And and with that, that's what we're crying out to God with. Kind of our big ideas this morning, we have two. One being that God can handle your prayers of lament, and he welcomes those things. He, he wants to hear uh, the prayers of lament that you have. And that the prayers of lament should lead us to a deeper understanding of and appreciation for the work of Jesus. Like our lament should lead us to a deeper understanding of and appreciation for the work of Jesus. And John Perkins, who's a black leader in the Christian faith and uh, civil rights leader, who's been beaten and discriminated against, wrongly imprisoned in America, um, has, has this to say in his book, One Blood, on his chapter of lament. He says, lament comes from deep down in the soul. We need to give advice to our souls. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of Christians and the eyes of the church so that we can't see the condition of our souls. But we can feel it. We can feel the gnawing 
Dr. Perkins used the word gnawing as to say the, the aggravation, the, the, uh, the lament, the aggravation, the, the bitterness, the troubling that we all feel if we were to slow down and kind of press into that. He used the word gnawing, and I, I think that that is a, an apt way to kind of describe what lament is. And even as we come to that, I recognize that not only there's difficulty in us slowing down to create the space, but there are just difficulties because of our nature of the people that are in our church as we come to lament, right? There are, you know, kind of two camps of people um, that, we've, that uh, people fall into when it comes to lament, one being uh, your, your go-getters, your, your type A people. These are people who are looking to make plans and, you know, are really good at coming up with uh, schemes to get things done and applying that to lament, right? Uh, they move quickly and efficiently uh, as situations and, and circumstances, chaos is coming around. They look to fix things and bring peace, right? And the difficulty there is that with lament, you've you got to slow down, right? You, you have to be able to, to stop and to hear and to realize and to reflect and that's countercultural to the rhythms of somebody who's, you know, going after and trying to get things done. Usually the way people uh, recognize that they throw um, either kind of worldly solutions at it, where we're just going to do more, where we're going to go volunteer, we're going to try to distract ourselves from this, or um, they do it biblically and with theology and just kind of dropping scriptures on situations, just saying, hey, we're just going to quote Romans 8, we're just going to quote Romans 4, without really doing the work of feeling the lament first. On the other side is that you have people that uh, embrace lament, so lament embracers, and these are people who are aware of the brokenness of the world, but struggle embracing the hope that Christ brings, right? So they're very much in tune with the sense of hopelessness and pessimism about the world that is crippling, um, and in that, they feel blockage from being able to move forward out of lament into hope. Now, just me personally, I struggle with lament because I'm more of a, a type A person. I, I like to uh, fix things. I like to find solutions for things. Um, and, and slowing down to feel emotions and slowing down to pray and to cry out to God is something that I just don't naturally do, right? I'm always looking for, for ways to where we can apply a solution to a situation. But um, what, you, what you realize with lament, you realize with deep brokenness is that you can't just fix those things, right? And that you can fall into a trap of an overwhelming sense of helplessness. If you, you know, pay attention to any of the news over the last couple of weeks, you, you probably heard about the Nipsey Hustle shooting that, um, that happened out in California, and just that continues to communicate a sense of hopelessness in the black community. You probably heard about the situation in Venezuela where people are without basic resources and access to, to health care. You probably saw the Christchurch mosque shooting that, that happened where uh, 50 people were left dead. And if you just, you know, constantly you open up your news app, you open up Facebook, there are reasons to lament everywhere. Just last month at, at Butler University, somebody wrote white power on one of the whiteboards um, in, in one of the dining halls. Right? There's no fix for that. There, there's nothing that I can do to solve those problems. I think, um, and also on a personal note, when I was a student uh, at Butler, uh, my freshman year, I, I got a call from my godmother, and uh, she had told me my godfather had passed away. 
my, my godfather was someone I, I looked up to greatly. He was a, a preacher out in Redlands, California. Um, and, and when I was five years old, I used to go uh, over to his church and used to sit, watch him preach, and be like, man, I want to I be like that. I want to be him when I get older. Uh, so when I got the call that, that he had been struggling with cancer and then eventually uh, he passed away, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, you know, kind of a punch to the stomach. I don't know if, you know, if, if any of you guys have been punched in the stomach, you just kind of lose the air that, that's in you. And that's what happened to me, right? When I was a freshman at Butler, I was uh, kind of here by myself. There wasn't a strong community of people around me. So not only was I dealing with lament, but I was dealing with lament in isolation. And that's where some of us are today, right? Where, um, you know, we're struggling with things, things are, are blowing us up, and we feel like there's no one that, that we can talk to about. There's no one that we can uh, go to about it. My godmother told me that what I should do is, you know, take some time to, to pray. So I left my, my dorm room, and I walked down in the middle of the night, and um, I looked up and just started to cry out to God, man. You know, I was all of 18 years old and, and not really understanding what deep despair felt like. That was the first time I had lost somebody that, was, that meant something, uh, uh, you know, very personal uh, to me. I was very heartbroken. But, but out of prayer... Uh, asking God and, and um, praying for peace. I felt peace. I felt comfort. I went back and I went to sleep. But when I woke up the next day, I got hit with the same kind of despair. I got hit with the same kind of brokenness. And for the next couple of weeks, I realized that, you know, I never had an opportunity to tell my godfather goodbye. Uh, um, never had an opportunity to tell him how much I loved him. And that was just really hard, right? It was really hard, again, to have to go through alone. And, and the reality is that even in those prayers, even in those moments of lament, um, situations don't always get fixed, right? Prayers of lament aren't just cure-alls to the situations of the brokenness of our lives. But the point is, is that God can continue to handle those laments. So over those weeks, over, over those days of, of, uh, uh, of feeling that brokenness, I would constantly and continuously have to go back to God. So this morning we're going to look at the book of Lamentations, right? Which is, um, I know some people have, have studied the book of Lamentations. That's like where you spend uh, a good amount of time during your quiet times. But this morning we're going to look at it together. Um, and, and we're going to look at, uh, at the writers and the voices within this book and how they've expressed anguish and grief as they face judgment at the hand of God. Now, the thing about Lamentations is that um, people would believe and commentate that it was written by a couple of different authors. It wasn't just uh, one consistent author, but they don't know who they would really track it back to, kind of like Hebrews, um, where that author is, is nameless. And where the children of Israel are at this point in time, um, they're being judged for their continued disobedience and unrepentantness for their sins and, and uh, 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 for their transgressions against God. God sent prophets to warn them. God had uh, sent Jeremiah to these people trying to uh, articulate and trying to call them back to himself, but they have refused to acknowledge their sin. 
So in chapters uh, 1 and 2 of Lamentations, we see and hear how God is pouring out his judgment in response to Israel's sin and disobedience. Uh, A couple of excerpts from uh, these first two chapters, starting in verse 3 of chapter 1. The author writes, Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. Verse 9, Jerusalem has sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. First part of verse 18 says, The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah, He has brought down to the ground and dishonored the kingdom and its rulers. You see in chapter 2, verse 5, the Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds, and he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. What we see here is that the children of Israel are acknowledging and lamenting their sinfulness and how the current reality is a result of that and seeing the judgment that God is bringing. And they're also lamenting the fact that God is active and impartial in his judgment. Right? God is not just punishing um, those who uh, may have committed those sins, but the effects of the people who have committed those sins are falling out onto men, women, and children who may be innocent in this. So we see that lament can come as a response to recognizing your own sin and brokenness and having to deal with the results of that. Lament can also come from the effects of other people's sin and brokenness. Like I said, the thought here is that innocent people are catching the effects of the brokenness and sin. This is descendants of slaves who are brought over here into this country unjustly and their voices crying out to be saved and spared because it wasn't their choice to be here. These are people groups who are murdered in the Holocaust unjustly. These are good-intentioned policemen and police women who are slain on duty as they're working in neighborhoods and communities trying to bring justice and peace to people. These are innocent people, families, feeling the effects of sin and lamenting those things. And we move to chapter 3, where the writers acknowledge that even though the people are in the midst of being crushed by the Lord, the Lord's steadfast love never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. So if you spent any time in, in Lamentations, uh, you're probably familiar with this passage, Lamentations 3, 21 to 24. And the, the writer says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You know, it's fascinating in this moment for for someone to have the presence of mind in the midst of utter destruction, to remind themselves and to remind the people that the Lord is good, that his love never ceases, that his mercy never ends. And this isn't communicated uh, as as an empty platitude. This isn't communicated flippantly. Um, This is someone who who deeply understands the moment that they're in, but then even deeper understands how good God is. And reciting back to God what he said uh, of himself, 
in Exodus. Like, it shouldn't be lost on us that this, too, is in the middle of suffering, like right smack in the middle of this book. Um, on the first half of this, there's sin and suffering. On the other half of this, there's still sin and suffering. But he pauses to press into a remembrance and a recollection of, recollection of who God is. You know, as, as Christians, we're not called to, to just drop uh, scripture bombs on situations thinking that that's going to solve a problem, right? We kind of rush in the midst of calamity. We, we run to Romans 8 and say, hey, God's going to work all things out together for the good of those who trust in him, so it's going to be okay. We say that, and then we walk away, right? We don't take the time to slow down and, and recognize that even though God's working all things together for our good, that later in that same chapter, Paul reminds us that for Christ's sake, we are going to be killed all the day long, and we are regarded as sheep sent to the slaughter, right? So there's still going to be brokenness, right? There, there's still going to be pain. There's still going to be death that we're going to face, and in the midst of all of this, this writer is, is calling to mind what God, again, said of himself. In Exodus 34, um, God is coming down to Moses for the second time to give him the commandments of the law written on stone because Moses got upset and he broke the first um, set. And in him coming down before he begins to, to write on the tablets, the Lord says this. Uh, we start in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, him being Moses there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And see, there is a God can handle you reminding him who he is, who he said he is, and what he has promised you. So you can be honest with him and not rush to dismiss the gnawing of your soul for lament. And then we have chapters four and five, right? Like the, the chapters don't conclude with any resolution for the children of Israel. There's not a big defeat of the enemies. There's not, um, uh, you know, like a success in, in this. It's more imagery of the brokenness, the pain, and the hurt that the people are feeling. And they also continue to cry out to God for restoration. And see, uh, from this scene in chapter five, verse one, the people are saying, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. The last three verses of, of the chapter and then the last three verses of the book say, Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. And the book ends, right? And we start the book of Ezekiel. Uh, our, our prayers of lament don't always bring about a resolution, right? Our, our prayers don't always bring about a satisfying conclusion. There's still systematic injustice. There's still racism. There's still hatred. There's still death. There's still questions and doubts. Right, we read Psalm 13, and I think that summarizes uh, the whole book of Lamentations in six verses. And the, the first four verses, King David's really pressing into this, with the refrain of how long. And starting verse 1, he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? 
How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. How long? How long are we going to deal with this racism thing? How long are we going to deal uh, with depravity? How long are we going to deal with sinfulness? For those who don't believe in Jesus, the outlook is pretty bleak, right? Because you take that, you take those cries, and and you can't throw that against um, uh, the the cosmos or the universe just figuring out to, to throw you a bone today. Neil deGrasse Tyson offered this perspective just a few days ago uh, via Twitter. The universe is blind to our sorrows and indifferent to our pains. Have a nice day. You know, the hearts of man aren't just going to magically come to a place where they resolve themselves to care about my sorrow, my problems. We need Jesus, man. We, we need a savior. It's great that uh, Max had read this during liturgy. Um, uh, and we're going to go right back there in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, where the prophet Isaiah is writing this about Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity that would lead to us writing lamentations for eternity. The great scandal of the gospel is that it was on Jesus that sin, would, sin that would lead to that lamentation was placed on, instead of it being placed on us, getting what we justly deserve. Jesus Christ is a salvation for the lamenting believer. God loved us so much in our sin and brokenness and our waywardness that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So yeah, we're going to quote John 3.16 all the time. People are going to write John 3.16 in their homes and John 3.16 on their bodies, and you should. And the reason why is because apart from God doing this, we don't have hope. God showed, us, showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, deserving of God's wrath and judgment, Christ died for us. We were the ones calling for his crucifixion. We were the ones calling that his blood would be spilt and then the sin would continue to fall on us, but God still intervened and God still sent Christ and Christ still endured that for us. Why did he do that? Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Because God doesn't lie. Because back in Exodus, when all of this was being formed and when the people were sinning and, and uh, they didn't listen, they had been saved, like God said, his steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. The same God that knitted fig leaves together when Adam and Eve sinned is the same God that showed mercy and grace to sinful people. It's the same God that sent his son, blameless and innocent, to take on the judgment deserved for you, deserved for me. It's the same God that will never leave you that will never forsake you, and he's the same God that's going to hear your laments and have compassion and move swiftly to comfort you. That's who he is. That's who he's always been. The reality is that like, that doesn't remove the cancer from 
my Godfather's body. Right? That doesn't uh, bring him back to life. It doesn't mend broken relationships. It doesn't solve all the problems of injustice in the world. But what it does is it gives hope and joy that those things aren't final. That we will be restored and we are reconciled back to God. That's what we cling to. That's what we remind each other day after day. That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It was not lost on on me that throughout this series of spiritual formation that we started with, Uh, Sabbath, and and we didn't just jump into doing a bunch of stuff uh, like prayer and fasting and and fixing all the problems of of justice, but we started with uh, four to five weeks of, of, of training ourselves to be silent, to sit in solitude before the Lord, to recognize that we have limits, right? And we need that silence and solitude as uh, we come to the prayers of, of lament and being able to press into that feeling uh, of loneliness and brokenness and hurt that exists within us. For go-getters, it allows us to pay attention to the reality of brokenness that exists in the world, the brokenness that exists in our hearts, and cry out to God for help. For people that embrace, embrace lament, it allows us to pay attention to the reality of God's power and our need to put our hope in him. It's practically for those who, you know, come into this place this morning and you find yourself in a season of lament or uh, there's a situation that you're lamenting. Uh, the, the practical is just be honest about that. Like be honest in your MC, be honest in your relationships, be honest in discipleship, be honest, you know, with your spouse, be honest. Don't try to posture, don't try to hide, don't try to paper over it. Ask people who are near you to pray with you and to pray for you. For those who aren't lamenting, right? We, we recognize that, you know, you may not be in a season of lament, and the pur- purpose of this message isn't to put you in that season of lament, right? Um, you know, purpose of this message is, is to provide space, to tell you that it's okay, right, um, to lament, and then also for those who aren't lamenting, uh, to, to weep with those who are. James 5 says that we're called to weep with those who weep, to intercede in prayer for our brothers and sisters, to take up their burdens and to cast those burdens on Christ. Because as someone who, you know, maybe find myself in lament, I may not be able to do that, right? I'm going to need my brothers and sisters to help meet those needs, to remind me of the goodness and grace of the Lord. There are people sitting next to you that need your support, that need your love, we have people in our church that are struggling in their relationships. We have people in our church that are struggling with thoughts of suicide, struggling with the racial and social tensions in our communities. And the church has to be a place where people feel the freedom to lament those things. Where we can throw out our agendas and our plans and enter into that lament, to cry out to God and to ask for mercy as we're encouraged to do in Hebrews 4. Don't let this be a place where we have to hide our struggles. Don't let this be a place where, where people have to come and they have to act a certain way and they have to be polished and prepped and we can't create space for the realities of the brokenness that people have. Don't let that be this place. Let's not be those kinds of people. Let's be people who are present, who are available, who listen, who encourage, and who graciously remind each other that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and that his mercies never come to an end, but that they endure forever. 
Michael Card, who was a director of music and, uh, or a doctor of music in Christian education, writes this in his book, A Sacred Sorrow. Jesus understood that lament was the only true response of faith to the brokenness and the fallenness of the world. It provides the only trustworthy bridge to God across a deep, seismic quaking of our lives. It seems to me that we don't need to be taught how to lament. What we need is simply the assurance that we can lament. You can lament. You can lament here. Feel the freedom to do that. And for brothers and sisters, let's rally around those people. Let's listen. Let's walk in grace and patience and remind them of the goodness of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we need you each and every day. God, I pray that you will orient our hearts um, to not be dependent on ourselves, on our systems, on our plans, on our agendas. Lord, but that we would be dependent on you in the same way. Lord, I pray that we would not get lost in hopelessness. We would not get lost in despair. Lord, but that we'd run to you in comfort. Lord, that we would see hope in the work of, of Jesus Christ, Lord. And that as a body of faith, a body of believers, that we would rally around one another where we can encourage one another, that we can love one another, we can bear one another's burdens, Lord, that we can speak truth to our neighbors. God, I pray that we would look to create space for this, God, in our, our gatherings, be it here on Sunday, Lord, or, or throughout the week, Lord, that we would constantly and consistently look to create space for those who are brokenhearted, who are facing despair. God, we need your power to do this. We love you and we thank you for your steadfast love for us, for your son that was sent for us. And we pray that we never forget that, that you write that on our hearts so in the darkest of times we recall that. And Lord, that would be encouragement to us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.